Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hello, Dolphins fans. Welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Have, as always, a very special show for you. Go ahead and we'll discuss the AFC Championship game last week, which was no doubt enjoyable if you're a Dolphins fan and you got to watch a, a defense put 20 hits on on Tom Brady in that game. It hasn't been done in over a decade, that, that amount of abuse <clears throat> absorbed by a quarterback. Uh, Dolphins fans didn't have a problem with it. So, and... I and mean, now you can say the Dolphins really had a hand in that because if if not for that, that Week 17 victory in South Florida, that that AFC Championship game is played at Gillette and probably a whole a whole different game out there in the Northeast. So Dolphins, like to think, have something to do with that. Uh, we'll go ahead and we'll talk to our usual panel. Right now I'm joined by, uh, flanked, if you will, by my, my good co-host, Chris, Dolphins fan for life. We'll get to him in a moment. Uh, we're going to actually have a guest caller. Uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, we'll get a call from Christopher Hart. He's with SB Nation's Mile High Report. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's, have, he's probably having a pretty good week being a Broncos fan. They're headed to the Super Bowl. Uh, probably considerable underdogs in that game. I think they'll actually put up a fight, though. That defense is impressive. And I think they're, Wade Phillips is the kind of guy that can scheme and get after uh, an offense like Carolina's, a quarterback like Cam Newton, which seems strange to say because there's not many quarterbacks walking the planet with Cam Newton's overall skill set. So it should be a, a decent game. You hope that Peyton Manning plays better uh, on Super Bowl Sunday than he did in that AFC Championship game because outside of a few quality throws, throws he had in the first half. Uh, I wasn't overly impressed with, with what Peyton did. I thought he missed a lot of throws in that game. To be quite honest with you, it should have never have come down to that final uh, play, that two-point conversion, which was failed for New England. Denver probably should have won that game by about two scores at least, if, if not more. So I thought a lot of that was just a, a real complacency in the second half on, on the part of Denver's offense. Uh, couldn't really get into a rhythm. Certainly couldn't run the ball. Credit goes to the New England Patriots front for really stuffing out that, that Broncos run, which is, has been inconsistent all season anyway. So, I mean, I don't mean to get too much into that. We're here to talk Dolphins. Uh, one of the big topics we'll touch upon when Christopher gets us, gives us a call in a little under a half hour is we'll go ahead and we'll talk about Adam Gase. A uh, big reason for that is uh, uh, one of our best friends in the South Florida media, uh, Omar, has uh, pretty much kind of taken on this sort of, I don't know if I want to call it an anti-Adam Gates crusade, but he's definitely going out of his way to make it sound like it was not a quality hire on Miami's part and that they went and got the wrong guy. This is an overrated coaching hire. And it's more of the same 
for for the Dolphins organization. Uh, I don't agree with that, but we will go ahead and we'll take the bias out of it, and we'll talk to Christopher with Mile High Report, who had front row seats for what Adam Gates did there in Denver. Uh, of course, working with Peyton Manning is probably one of the easier offensive coordinator gigs you'll find, but uh, all Broncos fans I've talked to have had glowing things to say about Adam Gase. Uh, I appeared on Lewis's show last night, and uh, Lewis had a, a gentleman on who uh, is a Bears fan and uh, does work um, covering sports, and I, I'm not sure the extent that he actually covers the Chicago Bears, but just well-versed in everything everything bears and it, what he said about Adam Gase was I thought really positive just point out the fact that I mean you are talking about an inexperienced head coach so you're always going to have buyer beware in that regard but a guy who's going to get the most out of his players which when you have a, a talent-laden roster like Miami's not such a bad thing uh, I believe Lewis joins us now Lewis is that you it is indeed Keith how are you this evening I'm fine. It's been so long. I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just got finished at my uh, little project, and now we can get started with some Dolphins football. Good, good. I mentioned to everyone we got we got Christopher Hart from Mile High Report, SB, Na- SB Nations. I always want to call it SBN Nations, but that doesn't make any sense. It's their their Broncos blog, and I don't I, I don't know I don't visit a lot of other football blogs to be quite honest with you, but I did go over to Mile High Report a little bit today, and I had to laugh because the rivalry they have with the Chiefs reminds me a lot of the one we have with the Jets, where it's just a lot of fans coming over, yet Chiefs fans coming over and throwing this, these tantrums about Von Miller and how he's a dirty player. And, I mean, these Broncos fans just, I mean, and they're in droves. I I actually state the case that I don't know if there is a more spread out uh, group of fans in the NFL than Broncos fans. Just because if you think about it, uh, I mean, if you live in Idaho, you don't have a team in the state. I'm under the impression that Idaho is big for the, uh, the Broncos before the Seahawks became popular. I know Washington actually swung hard for the Broncos, as did Oregon. So a lot of the Northwest goes for the Broncos, and everywhere I go, like, there's tons of Broncos fans out here. If there's a big game they're playing in, you can go to a Buffalo Wild Wings on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday night, and there will be Broncos fans everywhere. And you'll think, you know, it, where am I? I? The elevation feels fine. It doesn't feel thin. You know, why I'm in the Midwest and you've got these people everywhere. It's kind of the same thing with Packers fans, but that's a little more understandable considering the proximity. So we'll have him on. We'll go ahead and we'll get an unbiased take on Adam Gase's time in Denver. I mean, we were, and I mentioned, Lewis, that we were able to talk to uh, Bill Zimmerman on your show last night about Gase's time in Chicago, which is a smaller sample size, one year, but an important year nonetheless because Gase, and company really set a blueprint that the Bears are praying they can follow. Dow Logans is their new uh, offensive coordinator there. He was the quarterback coach uh, with it when Adam Gates was offensive coordinator. So 
the software to select parts of the software media can say what they will about the Adam Gates hire, how it's fool's gold. More the same. I saw a lot of that garbage this week. Uh, unproven, which is true, at, at, in a head coach sense, but I people realize that Sean Payton, when he took that job, didn't have any head coach experience. And the first person that says, well, he was an assistant head coach, I don't hear that garbage. You can throw that term at anyone these days. But Sean Payton takes that job in New Orleans, and he gets it. And, you know, it's, I don't want to go ahead and draw a direct parallel here, but I guess I am anyway. He gets he gets a quarterback uh, who, at that point, was considered damaged goods. A lot of people thought Drew Brees was never going to be that good, that he peaked early in San Diego, wasn't a winner. They had that great season in 2004, 2004, and then the Jets come in and beat them in overtime. And people just had that sense that Drew Brees was holding that team back, and he wasn't that good. Drew Brees goes to New Orleans, pairs up with Sean Payton, and the rest is history. You know, for the longest time, New Orleans was just flat, unbeatable in the dome down there. And a big reason for that is that just highly prolific, fast, uh, aggressive offense that the Saints put out there. So, you know, why – that's Sean Payton's first gig. Why can't Adam Gase have a chance? Why does it have to be some guy with – I mean, what's the term they throw out there? Retread, I think. Why does it have to be a retread? I mean, you're, what's the Bruce Arians quote? No risk it, no biscuit. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to roll the dice if you think he's your guy – and you think that what he brings to the table best suits what you've got on the table, you got to go for it. And I know that and a lot of people, let's, let's be honest here, a big reason you have some people out there second-guessing the Adam Gates hire really doesn't have a lot to do with Adam Gates so much as it has to do with the fact that Stephen Ross's hires have not historically been great with this franchise. You know, be it if he's had Carl Peterson in his ear, that vampire-looking guy, if he's had had him in there helping him make these decisions, I don't know. But a lot of people bring up the Harbaugh chasing. I don't blame him. Harbaugh was a hot candidate, and Harbaugh was proven to be a great coach at the NFL and college level. Hard to hard to feel too bad about that outside of the the loyalty sense, and. Sperano's teams were floundering anyway. It's the, you know not the right way to approach it, but I didn't have any problem with him looking at Jim Harbaugh. He was right in that regard, so maybe he's right here, you know, and he gets his guy. I don't know. We'll see, but we'll find out. We'll talk to our friend Colin in in about just under 20 minutes, and we'll get his take on it. Uh, in the meantime, I want to ask you two, just real quick. Uh, do, did you guys watch that AFC Championship game? Did you tune in for that? I was holding my breath the whole way through because I honestly did not think Denver was going to pull it out of the fire in elite defense notwithstanding. I thought that the whole Brady-Manning bowl was going to wind up going once again in favor of Tom Brady because, I mean, when when doesn't it, it feels like. It always feels like Peyton – is, is the, his, the rest of his team just can't pick him up. But this time, it not only picked him up, it it pretty much won the game for him because, uh, let's be, everybody knows this, and anybody who tries to deny it is incredibly fooling themselves. 
uh, Peyton Manning didn't win that football game. It was completely Denver's defense. I think uh, what was it, what was the number you gave me last night, Keith? How many times did Brady get knocked to the ground? Uh, he got hit again? twenty times, which is that's the most in over a decade in the NFL. And now Tom Brady knows what it feels like to be Ryan Tannehill, and as a result, he looked very un-Brady-like. He kept looking for Gronk, he kept looking for Edelman, and when those options were not there, he started to, I think he started to panic a little bit. Now, obviously, his face won't show it, but uh, the one, the only thing that I do like at this point that Stephen A. says is that whenever Tom Brady starts feeling pressure, he tap dances like the late, great Gregory Hines. So, and that's exactly what wound up happening. Brady didn't have any. Brady did not have his options. He didn't have his line. And lo and behold, he looks like just just another quarterback who needs an offensive line to function. So, so much for elite Tom Brady and all that stuff. Obviously, I'm being a little bit of an exaggeration because, of course, Brady is still great. But there, it, it it shows and proves the point that if you don't have all your pieces in place, you're not going to win the game. Denver had their sure. pieces in place. And, I mean, one thing Delaney, to point out Delaney there, too, is if not for T.J. Ward getting hurt uh, late late in that game, T.J. Ward did a fantastic job against Rob Gronkowski. Forced everything that was thrown to Gronk. You notice he wasn't stretching the field a lot. I think he, up until that point, he caught one over the middle and managed to get a, a good gain out of that. But not the usual Gronk stuff where he's just absolutely murdering the scene and just getting whatever he wants. Or even when they, they throw it to him down in the flat. I mean, everywhere. But, I mean, TJ Ward was physical with him, almost to the point where it was a lot of borderline pass interference. But that's what you got to do with Rob Gronkowski. I mean, you can't sit there and let him have his way. And TJ Ward was excellent with him. Then TJ Ward gets hurt. And then also their, their other safety got hurt. Uh, and so you have backup safeties back there, and all of a sudden, Gronk's, you know, you have that big fourth down conversion on that, that bucket throw. That I mean, Tom Brady made a great throw on that one, and that's a clutch throw. I'll give him that all day. That was an excellent throw on fourth down. That took major stones. But, you know, if, if T.J. Ward's in there, does that happen? I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, and that, we'll, we'll and know, a, but the... Mm-hmm. Well, I watched both of the games. Is, uh, so, I mean, it was it was a great game, certainly better than the second game. Although you felt that Arizona could have gotten back in that game before the Patrick Peterson muffed punt. After that, that game was over. But when it was 17-7, to Arizona getting the ball back, I, I had a feeling that, you know, okay, maybe this game will turn into something decent. We can have some fun with this. And, I mean, after that, it was over. You know, Carson Palmer just had one of the worst games of his life. I thought it was interesting to see that that was Carson Palmer's first ever playoff game on the road. I don't bet not, against not I'm a, not betting against Carolina. Yeah. <clears throat> not a great sign if you're Arizona. You're going out there. You're playing in a real hostile place like, like Carolina. has got a ton of success, a ton of momentum going right now. So uh, the other thing... I want to point out before we, we get our, our guest caller is uh, we've got the senior bowl going on right now. <clears throat> and because I don't shy away from quarterback talk, I actually rather enjoy it. Uh, you saw that on Monday, the Dolphins met with Carson, Carson Wentz, who's the, the quarterback prospect everyone's hot to trot about right now out of North Dakota State. 
FCS guy. And the Dolphins met with him, talked with him. And just even though they, they'll talk to everyone while, while they're there, everyone they can get in contact with, I imagine. So Twitter goes nuts on Monday night talking about, like, well, you know, maybe they're not so confident about Tannehill. There's no way you can read into it like that. Could they draft Carson Wentz? They could do anything with that eighth pick. I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. But just because they're talking to a guy at the senior bowl does not mean that he's number one on their draft board. That is insanity. And it, it is in no way an indictment of Ryan Tannehill or, or an indication of how they feel or how Adam Gates and company feel about Ryan Tannehill. I think a big reason. Yeah, go ahead. To add on to that a little bit, it's also you have to realize that Lent also played wide receiver and running back, both in college and um, and football and one and uh, high school. But the one thing you have to acknowledge is the fact that they also talked to a couple of wide receivers as well. Does that mean they're going wide receiver? No, they're just expanding their options. And I think, really, it has nothing to do with Tannehill at all. I I think, really, it's just trying to figure out what they can do to expand on their offensive scheme. I mean, like I said, he played wide receiver. And the fact that they talked to two other wide receivers besides him says maybe they're not so through on the wide receiver core as we think. I I would hope that wide receiver is not at the top of their their list. I think that they've got an outstanding core right now, considering the fact that we haven't even really seen the best of Kenny Stills yet. I mean, I understand you're gonna you're gonna want a body to replace Richard Matthews because I mean we're we've we've all but conceded that he's probably gonna go. Although I'd love to keep him, I think he's outstanding. But um. I I don't know. I'm already I let the smoke screens begin. You're already see, you're already seeing this garbage about how people think Laquan Treadwell is going to run slow at the combine and his stock's already falling. He hasn't even run the forty yet. And people think I mean this is such an absurd time of year in terms of the smoke screens, the diversions, the just the 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 rumors are out of control. It is like wildfire, and it's funny because instead of taking it with a grain of salt like people should, you see a lot of people out on Twitter freaking out or loving it. The people who are against Ryan Tannehill, I saw that. They're like, yeah, we're one step closer to getting rid of that guy. Maybe not so fast there, guy. I don't know about that. I don't know that I would go ahead and base base my off-season party on the fact that these guys talk to, uh, at, this, at this moment, the flavor of the month, quarterback prospect. Now, I think Carson Wentz has ability and can be a great pro. I think in if the right team gets him, I think he can be excellent. It'd be cool to see him play out in Los Angeles. I have a feeling that the Rams are going to be one of the teams looking looking to get a hold of him, perhaps. Or you're, you're already seeing this garbage about how Jerry Jones doesn't want to draft a quarterback. If Manziel and Griffin, if one of those guys isn't in Dallas come, come draft time, I don't believe anything Jerry says especially because it sounds like his his kids are taking his picks away from him at this point and making them for him, which is why Manziel doesn't play for that team right now. 
uh, which also is why Zach Martin doesn't play for this team right now, which is <clears throat> still a sore point for me. Uh, we're joined now by, uh, I believe, Duke is with us, too. Duke, what's up? Not much. Uh, uh, I'm glad you could join us. Um, we're going ahead and just kind of going through the Senior Bowl. I know you've been watching the Senior Bowl uh, up close. We've been discussing it a little bit through uh, through Twitter. Uh, just real quick, who's your who's the guy who's impressed you the most at the Senior Bowl this week? A guy who is might have been a little bit on your radar, but after this week, is definitely on your radar. Carson Wentz, uh, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I really hope he flies up the draft boards. I've, I've mentioned that before about the um, about getting quarterbacks and other players to jump ahead of Miami so that defensive prospects will fall. I mean, if three quarterbacks go before eight and Miles Jackson has to be sitting there, you know, I can I can handle that. But the uh, I, I'm going to go with I've read a lot about Braxton Miller and and the only problem I have with adding him to the Dolphins would be they're going to have to use a high pick on him, such as a second round. I just, I don't see him being there in the third. And worst case scenario, he falls to New England at the end of the second round, and they would just absolutely. Uh, they they would use him to destroy teams, um, but I like what he offers. One of the things that, that I've read that I really like is that he he has a good change of direction speed. I saw a uh, I saw a move he put on a cornerback just one route, uh, and it was on like a go route, and the quarterback missed through the ball. That didn't matter, but he put a little stutter step kind of thing and just froze that dude. And I think Mike Mayock even mentioned the, the guy's knee buckle, just the way he moves like that. And a lot of people are saying, well, he would he would operate from the slot. It depends on what his time speed is. But you, I think uh, one thing I read about him said that he's he's kind of raw and you have to use him kind of as a Swiss Army knife, kind of like um, kind of like a Dexter McCluster when he came out. You use him in the backfield. You use him. At receiver, use him as a returner. But you know, I like the receiving core. But if you can add talent to it, I mean, it can't hurt. I just don't like. I just don't want to use a high pick on a uh, uh, on a guy who's going to end up being the fourth receiver. Because right now we've got our top three. We know who they are. Um, unless Rashard Matthews signs, and then there's a little confusion there because he's going to get reps over Devontae Parker, even though he shouldn't at this point. Uh, the other guy that I like that I know. Uh, a lot of people on the site like, and I don't remember his name. I, know, I think it's Darian Stewart, if I'm not mistaken. He's a safety from uh, Boise State. And Darian everything Thompson. I've read about him this week says that he is head and shoulders above the rest. And if he's sitting there, I think yeah. he picks what, seventh in the uh, seventh in the second round. If he's there at that point. I mean, you need a playmaking free safety. You got him with Rashad Jones back there, and you've got the makings kind of what Seattle's got, especially if you can come away with a guy like Hargreaves or Jack in the first, and suddenly you've got these coverage guys out there that are flying around the ball, uh, you know, at a middle linebacker, say, I think Danny Trevathan is a free agent, if they can get him, get these guys that can cover a little bit, and suddenly you've got, you know, you've got some coverage guys, these quarterbacks are going to take an extra second to throw the ball, and that's when guys like Wake and Sue and whoever else they fell in there is going to uh, wreak havoc. So that's, uh, those are two guys that I've read about that have, those names have stood out. 
I think that uh, our draft friend Zach was is real high on Darian Thompson. He was talking about him. Uh, I know a couple of months ago he brought him up when we he and I were briefly talked about Boise State. And then when when Lewis joined us and we all got together and we watched a bunch of film and it turned into just like a big, uh, pretty much like a joke session. Uh, we also I, some of the stuff we watched was was Darian Thompson. And yeah, he's he's really impressive. There's some scary stuff that came out of the the Senior Bowl in terms of measurements and whatnot. Like Raven Clark and his 36 and was it three eighths arms? Somewhere. Yeah, 36 Just, and one 36 and one quarter inch arms. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah. they measure from the where your shoulder meets your torso to the wrist. They don't measure out to the tip of the finger. If I, I think I read that. I may be wrong. If that's the case, that's over three feet of nothing but arm. That's just ridiculous. And when you have that kind of, yeah, and when you have that kind of arm length, I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, this guy's probably going to move to guard. When you've got that kind of arm length, you, you know, that's a guy you can play a tackle. Because even if he's got a little bit slower feet, when you've got, you know, stilts for arms, you can just hold that guy off. I mean, he pretty much just, as soon as he comes out of his stance, he can just stick his arms out there, and that guy's pretty much blocked. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, that that was just freaky. I'm like, I think it was uh, was it DJ Fluker or whoever had, like, 35 or something inch arms a few years ago. And this, this is the longest I think I've heard in a while. Yeah, that's that that's up there. Uh, Tyron Smith what was way up there when he, when he – he came out, and he's been an incredible left tackle for Dallas. Uh, we had a caller, and then we lost him. Uh, so, Hollywood, Florida, if you're listening, uh, you can – well, it's, it might be too late now because we got our we got our special guest from Mile High Report calling in in a few minutes. So, uh, as soon as we're done with that, call us back. Uh, we encourage everyone to give us a call in the studio. Uh, we'll chat about whatever it is you want. Uh, Dolphins or NFL-related, 347-326-9461. That's how you can reach us. Um, I We used to have a producer. It was James. He was an excellent producer, and he used to give us all these little notes when we were taking calls and everything. It was, it was great. It also spoiled me because now I work the phones too in addition to handling this show because I'm too cheap to hire an assistant or I can't really find anyone to, to do it for me. So if you want to be my assistant... <clears throat> Give me an email, uh, knba488 at gmail.com, please. So we've got a couple of minutes before before our guest calls in. Uh, the the one guy I want to mention, because we're all into that uproot theory about guys getting into the, the weeding their way into the top seven and maybe pushing up some of the defensive talent that we want. We've talked about Robert and Nkandiche uh, out of uh, Ole Miss. It sounds like he's already set to maybe go back up the draft board after the incident he had where he, you know, saw the window or whatever. Uh, the one guy who is absolutely tearing up the senior bowl, well, actually it's two guys, and they both could be big risers. One could get reasonably close, I think, to the top 10. The other one I think is still going to be it's going to be hard for him to crack the top 15, but then maybe not. Uh, one is Louisville defensive tackle Sheldon Rankins. He's getting the, the Aaron Donald comparison which is going to be like catnip to a lot of these teams looking for, uh, you know, just a hyper-quick three-technique type defensive tackle. Uh, the other guy is Noah Spence, 
uh, I believe, uh, Eastern Kentucky, uh, originally at Ohio State. I think he had some behavior problems. But in terms of being an edge rusher, no offense, it's just absolutely slaughtered people at the Senior Bowl. Just pretty much unblockable. You don't want to be a tackle going against that guy. And if you're talking about tackles, another guy that our friend Zach kind of turned us on to in in terms of, hey, you should take a look at this guy, was uh, Jason Spriggs, who's the left tackle out of uh, Indiana. And you know how I feel. I love Big Ten tackles. If I'm going to draft a Big Ten tackle, it's going to be – or if I'm going to draft a tackle, it's going to be from that conference. I love them. I love Big Ten offensive linemen. They're typically all Midwestern kids. I mean, they're just almost built-in road graders, although you like it when they, they also have have a great deal of, of pass pro ability, which isn't always the case. I think Jack Conklin out of Michigan State has some pass pro ability, but uh, Sprig looks great. I mean, he's just got, you know, great feet. You know, the, from what you, you can see on, on his film, he, he's comfortable mirroring his assignments. Uh, that that quick slide step that he's got looks fantastic. Doesn't get beat around the edge too often. Doesn't get beat through too often on the bull rush, which is kind of something you see with with these tackles. Um, I guess you call them finesse tackles these days. You don't see finesse tackles too much in the coming out of the Big Ten, though. So not really something to worry about. The book is still out on Ronnie Stanley in terms of whether he's a finesse guy or not. I really like Ronnie Stanley out of Notre Dame as a tackle, probably locked in as the number two guy in the draft. But, um, you know, might lack strength. That's something you're seeing uh, in the scouting report that you can see on his tape, too. Not not someone who's just an absolute crusher at that position. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there. But, I mean, there's – so you're looking at these guys and you're just hoping somebody catches some interest or you know, you get that. It would be amazing if we get if we could get three quarterbacks drafted in the top seven. It's going to be hard for that to happen unless somebody trades up in. But I mean, if that happened, you're uprooting a lot of the guys that Dolphins fans have interest in right now. You know, you're burning Hargraves, uh, Jalen Ramsey feels like a pipe dream, but that would be outstanding. You have a lot of guys who are in a Mackenzie Alexander right now. I'm not so much at that spot. But, I mean, I, I do like him. But right now, uh, where it's actually 9 p.m. Eastern, which means that uh, we can go ahead and go to the phones. Got our special caller, special guest caller. And, I mean, I've got to be honest. I don't know that we've ever had a guest call in from South Dakota before, which is pretty interesting. So, uh, Christopher, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know, this is Christopher Hart with Mile High Report. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us tonight. And I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that this has been a pretty good week for you. Yeah, it's actually been quite excellent. Uh, never hurts beating the New England Patriots in a big game to go to the Super Bowl, which is always nice. But uh, it's going to be a long couple of weeks before the Super Bowl. I'm little worried about how we'll perform against uh, the Panthers with their pretty awesome defensive front four, but we'll just have to wait and see, but it's it's a good time to be a Broncos fan for certain. You're welcome for that. What week, was it like to, to be a, a road dog? Or, I'm sorry, a home dog going in into that AFC Championship team? Because you guys have the number one defense. 
Uh, I mean, it, you've been outstanding all year. I mean, the, the question was, or it has been, Peyton Manning's health and the decline in his ability to throw the football. So, I mean, despite the fact that everything Denver did, you know, securing the number one seed, uh, they go into that AFC Championship game, and, you know, you're getting points at home. And then all of a sudden, I, Wade Phillips just gets ultra creative with Von Miller. I saw him line Von Miller up over the center at one point in that game, which I don't know that I've really seen that. Yeah, I mean, it's always kind of weird when you're at home in a playoff game like that being considered an underdog, especially considering when we had beat New England earlier in the year. Uh, but that's just, you know, sometimes that's how Vegas is, and I'm actually kind of glad that they uh, put that chip on their shoulders with the players because I think they certainly played a lot harder knowing that people were disrespecting them and not really giving them the credit that they were due throughout the course of the season for how well they played. But, you know, given the struggles with uh, the Broncos' offense over the course of the season, you can kind of see where they might have been coming from making us uh, dogs in that game. But it all turned out well, and it's just time to focus on the next big goal in the Super Bowl and just hope that a 43-8 to uh, showing doesn't happen again. I'll be surprised if Wade Phillips lets that happen. I I don't know how that game will will unfold, obviously, but I I know that he's been ultra creative with that that defense all year, and it seemed like a great fit when Gary Kubiak hired him. That I mean, you're bringing in Wade, who's had enormous success as a as a defensive coordinator. I mean, he's outstanding with the three four scheme. I just remember thinking that getting getting him a an edge rusher like Von Miller, a guy that you can you can move around, you can move him in coverage. He's pretty much a Swiss Army knife in your front seven. Getting Wade a, a player of that caliber, I thought was going to be a game changer. And I mean, I know that Von's had an up and down season, but I mean, there he couldn't have shown up at a at a bigger time. I mean, that guy was literally just an absolute wrecking ball against New England. They had no answer for that guy. Tom Brady, I fairly certain never wants to see number 58 ever again. So no, I, mean, I, I thought that was a doctor. big deal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's funny hit. Yeah, Vaughn had a Tom Brady in that game. It hasn't happened in over a decade, an NFL quarterback taking that, that amount of punishment in a 60-minute game. Yeah, it's you know, we had a great pass rush all season long, uh, but to have that many pressures, that many sacks, and to rattle Tom Brady in a way that you virtually have never seen unless you were going back to his earliest days with the Patriots. It was something quite special. So, you know, hopefully Wade has, uh, you know, one more great game plan in mind when we have to take on Cam Newton and uh, the underrated Carolina Panthers who, you know, actually have a pretty darn good offensive line as well. And it's kind of amazing that Michael Oher being a, reclamation project at left tackle for them has actually worked out so well. But, you know, I think it's Mike Remmers who is their right tackle. And I don't know a whole lot about him, but he just seems like another guy to me. Uh, so hopefully Vaughn mm-hmm. can have another uh, extraordinary performance in the Super Bowl. And, you know, if he does that, he's really on his way to getting, you know, 18 to $20 million a year this offseason because there's just no way that the Broncos can let a player like that go. I agree. I think that an important thing is going to come down to the defensive interior, too, because Wolf and Jackson were so impressive in that championship game. I mean, aside from the fact that you had Ware and Von Miller creating all that havoc on the edge, I mean, the insides 
Uh, and to the point where Denver was so confident in their interior defense that they were all the way that they had those guys uh, li- lined up wide, those defensive tackles, it was almost like they were begging New England to try to run on them. That's how much confidence Denver has in their defensive interior, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Derek Wolf has been phenomenal all year, and really besides the year that he had missed with uh, injury uh, due to that spinal uh, issue, he's been a very underrated performer in the league. You know, he's a really guy, a really strong guy with a lot of length. You know, when he was at Cincinnati, he actually played a lot of defensive tackle in a 3-4 scheme there. But, you know, he has an uncanny ability to rush on the inside, as does Malik Jackson, who also played defensive tackle at uh, the University of Tennessee. But getting them, you know, to rush interior is something that they're used to, but they also have the length and speed off the snap to really be disruptive on the outside. And without those two players, I don't think that you would have seen Vaughn and Ware and everyone else have such tremendous games as they did because really it all starts up front. And, you know, Sly Williams did a great job on the interior at nose tackle as well and really doing that one-gap defense where you can just go after and, you know, attack uh, has really, really been a blessing for the defense. And so it was great to see them perform at such a high level all year year long. So a big reason that we had you give us a call or he asked you to join us was because the Dolphins two weeks ago hired Adam Gase to be their head coach. And it's something, even though he's the hottest coaching candidate on the market really this offseason, I don't know that anyone can really argue that. Uh, The Dolphins fan base is more or less divided on, on this hire. I'm in the camp where I think it's outstanding. I live in Chicago. So I was able to to watch him as the offensive coordinator for Jay Cutler for a year. And although Jay Cutler's numbers didn't improve greatly, aside from the fact that his interception total uh, lowered drastically from last season and really every season Cutler's played, uh, he just looked more confident. And I don't know that's something that's really something you'd see translate into the numbers, but Jay just looked comfortable, looked in control of the offense. And I don't know that I've ever watched him play and thought, that guy's absolutely in control of this offense right now. But it seemed like with Adam Gase, that's about as close as Jay ever got to achieving that. So, of course, before Chicago, Adam Gase, the offensive coordinator in Denver, and wasn't there for, for just one year. So we're really looking to get just an unbiased take on, uh, on Adam Gase, your thoughts on him. Uh, do you think that he can be a head coach? Uh, the kind of impact that he had on the Denver Broncos because it's probably pretty easy to be Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator. But, I mean, it seems like it, from everything I've read, was still able to really assert uh, his influence and impact the team positively during his time as offensive coordinator in Denver. So what is your take on Adam Gase, and do you think this was a good hire for the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, uh, I'd just like to say I think it's an excellent hire for the Dolphins. One of my best friends growing up is a diehard Dolphins fan. And, you know, the last couple weeks of the season, I'm like, hey, I have a good feeling that, you know, if your coach isn't retained, that, you know, getting Adam Gase would be phenomenal for Tannehill and the pieces that you have on offense already. I mean, you know, Miami's not a bare cupboard there with offensive talent. They have a lot of great guys. I mean, your receiver is Jarvis Landry is, you know, becoming one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He can absolutely do it all. 
he's a guy that Adam Gates is going to be able to line up inside, outside, which, you know, happened this year as well. But he's going to be able to maximize um, his abilities and make him a better player. You know, a lot of people talk about Adam Gates being a quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator. But in his first year with the Broncos, he actually was their wide receivers coach. And he had actually learned a lot back in the day underneath Mike Martz, uh, who you probably know very well and have heard of him before, arguably one of the best sure. offensive minds in the history of the NFL, arguably probably the best wide receivers coach. Isaac Bruce might ring a bell, um, Torrey Holt, guys like that. He's going to be able to maximize those guys on offense, like Devontae Parker will be in his second year, continuing to learn and grow. And I think, you know, even helping a guy like Kenny Stills, who you guys traded for, and didn't have a great year this year. He definitely receded from his last year that he had in New Orleans. But he's a guy who has actually great speed. He has an uncanny, you know, feel for finding open space and destroying zone coverage. And, you know, with Adam's experience, you know, you have a guy who obviously this is going to be his first rodeo as a head coach, but he's been around the NFL for a long time. He's been able to learn under Steve Mariucci, uh, Rod, Mar- Rod Marinelli, uh, Mike Martz, you know, John Fox as well, other good coaches in the NFL who have a wide variety of offensive systems and beliefs. And he's going to be able to mesh all those things together and hopefully form a pretty cohesive unit there um, in Miami. And one of the things, you know, you had talked about how he was able to turn things around, you know, for Jay Cutler and make him more efficient. You know, he's a, he's a player's coach, and all the players respected him, whether it's Denver or Chicago. You read the press clippings about Adam Gase. All the players he coached, even if it was on the defensive side of the ball, they all rave about how approachable he is, how he seeks feedback from his players and is willing to take their advice and change things up as necessary. He's a transparent guy uh, who will let you know if you've made mistakes, but he'll be the first to stand up after a bad game and be, hey, that was my fault. I could have did a lot better here to protect my quarterback there and make things work. And, you know, having that sort of working relationship and accountability is something that the Dolphins locker room is going to definitely respect in their new head coach. And I think uh, it's a fantastic hire for him. You know, like I said, he coached receivers before. He's going to benefit that fabulous trio that you have there. Hopefully he'll be able to get Jordan Cameron involved a little bit more this year. Um, And like I said, people like Peyton Manning, they raved about him, how diligent Adam was week in and week out in preparing a game plan, coming up with something different and unique. You know, heck, he even helped Tim Tebow, you know, be a formidable quarterback when it mattered the most by seeking the advice of Urban Meyer and his college coach to come up with offensive, you know, concepts that fit the players. And Adam's not going to go there and be like, hey, this is the way that we have to do things. He's already on record saying, you know, this is what we have and this is what we can do, and he's going to be the coach that recognizes we have to play to the strengths of our players. And with a quarterback like Ryan Tannehill, you have someone who's certainly athletic. You have someone who has good arm strength. Uh, But I think he's going to be a great coach for Ryan to let him relax, um, teach him not to force things too much, take things that are there. If there's a five- to seven-yard throw over the middle of the field, he can just get some yards and make thirds or a second down to more manageable. He'll get them to do that. And he's, you know, excellent with game planning, and he's the ultimate chess guy when it comes to, you know, making mismatches on the field, especially isolating coverages to their advantage. So 
I don't know what all the fuss is about with fans, you know, Dolphin fans maybe worrying about him, but you know, from my opinion, I've seen him have success with Tim Tebow, which no one else can say in the NFL. Tim is no longer in it. Uh, Peyton Manning, you know, people will argue. You know, Peyton Manning's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. How much of it was Peyton, you know, and not Adam, but Peyton's on record saying, you know, it's Adam week in, week out, coming up with those game plans, and Peyton went out there and executed. And like you said, being in Chicago getting C.J. Cutler, uh, Cutler's turnovers went down quite, you know, significantly this year. I think he only had like 11 interceptions, and I don't even know if he had a multiple interception game. And although the offense wasn't like top 10, 15 in production, you have to keep in mind Kevin White was out uh, four games sometime. Uh, their offensive line is absolutely horrendous there, and you really have a slew of no-name receivers like Bellamy and Royal, who's kind of a has-been, really. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> all things considered, I think he did quite an admirable job there. And, you know, I think that the focus for Gase heading into Miami is what can he help do on that offensive line and find some talent? Uh, Tannehill's been sacked a lot. He was running for his life on quite a few plays that I got to see this year. And more importantly, what are they going to do with that running game? You guys obviously will have second-year player J.J. there uh, from Boise State who, you know, was an excellent draft prospect but fell due to concerns with his knee. I think that you have Williams out of Oklahoma. But it'll be interesting to see if they'll actually be able to keep uh, Lamar Miller there and having a back like Lamar Miller think would be great in Gase's system because, you know, Miller can actually tilt the rock pretty well and he can catch the ball, which is something that Gase likes to have out of his backfield. So it'll be interesting to see if Miller stays there. I just for the life of me don't understand why Philbin and the other coaching staff really didn't make use of such an extraordinary talent there. I'm sure it was pretty frustrating for you guys to see him have like 12 carries in the first half for 100 yards and get like two in the second half. I really didn't understand that. So, but yeah, I don't think any of us understand. To be honest, to be honest with you, the the one thing you you mentioned that I love is the the flexible approach, just looking to maximize players' strengths because we're coming off of a regime that was more than content to just try to jam a square peg into a round hole for for an entire season and then point fingers elsewhere. But you know, going ahead and now you're seeing that Joe Philbin not a big believer in Ryan Tannehill, and I, I don't understand that because I've never, ever once watched Ryan Tannehill. Even if I could look at the team objectively and just watch him play, I would never come away thinking that he's bad, he's bad or that he's sucked. That would never, never be the case. Whoa, yeah. That? Yeah, I had some feedback. Sorry, I think we, had, we might have lost it there for a second, but hey, Anyway, the thing I was mentioning is that to have that flexible approach in Miami is really exciting because, I mean, as you mentioned, there's a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Brian Tannehill has taken 183 sacks in four seasons. He's taken an absolute beating, which is why I think watching Tom Brady get beaten up last Sunday it reminded me of kind of your average Sunday just watching a Dolphins game, just watching yeah. that guy, you know, Ryan Tannehill just get throttled back there. So. The offensive line does need to be addressed for sure. And a part of it is they need to figure out who goes where. Because part of the, a signature part part of the Philbin regime 
is the sort of musical chairs they had at, at the guard position. And then Brandon Albert gets hurt, and all of a sudden you've got everyone and their brother playing left tackle, and it was just such a mess. And it just resulted in more and more sacks. And people will argue pocket presence and whatnot for Ryan Tannehill. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is the guy just doesn't have a lot of time to throw the ball. And he was playing in the, the Philbin laser system, couldn't even audible. And that was one of the things I noticed with Adam Gase coming to Chicago, that he entrusted Jay Cutler to make those reads at the line of scrimmage and and make the audible if necessary. And you've always heard that Jay Cutler, for being such a smart guy, not the not the best when it comes to vision and reading the field. But Gates was able to work with him in that. So, okay, you're not reading the entire field or whatever you're seeing. Trust what you're seeing. And if you want, if you believe you can make adjustments, do so. If you're, I mean, you're the guy at her center. So that's exciting because I'd like to see that approach brought to Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, absolutely. And that base is going to bring, you know, you guys operated quite a bit out of the shotgun this year, and that's predominantly what Gase is going to do. But he's also going to have those quick reads and those hot reads in there. So, you know, Ryan's not going to have to run for his life around there, and he's going to be able to, you know, within a second or two of the snap being taken, like, hey, I'm going to have stills here in the middle of the field, or I'm going to have this guy here out in the flat, or I'm going to throw it to Cameron here and just get five yards. You know, it's, you know, he had such a horrendous offensive line this past year and has ever since he's been with the Dolphins. It's really hard to step up into the pocket and make decisive throws when that's just pretty much a black hole consistently and not there. Uh, but, you know, Gates did a phenomenal job, whether it was with Manning or even Tebow and even with Cutler. You know, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but you're having the offensive coordinator also take the reins over, you know, protection calls and letting the quarterback know, like, hey, you can do this and you can do that, slide this guy here, and give yourself an absolute fighting chance to make the most out of every play. And from the games I saw earlier of Miami during the year, that's just not something that Feldman was doing. And, I mean, I don't know the guy personally, don't know a whole lot about him, but you just looked at him on the sideline and it didn't look like he was a coach that inspired confidence and a coach more or less that people would really enjoy playing for, but... You know, now they have a younger guy, Adam, uh, who can relate to players, who will get the most out of them, and, you know, will approach their positions with their mentality and kind of see where the players are coming from, and he can take that feedback and formulate it in his game plan. And, you know, I think, you know, he'll also help out that offensive line there when it comes to that too. I mean, I'm a big NDSU Bison fan. That's where I went to school, and you guys have Billy Turner, and I was figuring at some point in time he would see significant playing time this year, but I'm not sure if he actually did or not, but he was a left tackle in college, and he certainly has the ability to play left guard in the NFL most certainly, but I don't even know if they tried him out there. You'd have to chime me in on that if they even utilized him this year. It seemed like they were hell-bent on keeping Dallas Thomas in there for some reason. Yeah, I don't know, but you're you're dead on just from what you've seen from this team. Uh, your your sentiments are pretty much ours too. I could never. I feel like they've done nothing but underuse and minimize Billy Turner's ability. Because I mean, when uh, Duke, who's also on the, the program with us, he, he's one of my co-hosts. Uh, before the 2014 draft, one of the when we were looking at at tackle, Billy Turner was a guy who early on caught our interest. And part of that is the fact that that guy was for a left tackle, just unbelievably athletic. Like, we couldn't believe yeah. it. And, I mean, like, I, honestly, like, I 
I, I agree with you. He, I think that going forward, if if they don't have the left guard spot filled, it should be him. I think he, he, I mean, his college tape was incredibly impressive. And then, of course, he comes to Miami. And like I said, it's typical musical chairs. They're moving. People think it's not a big deal to move from left guard to right guard. It is. And they've moved mm-hmm. in. I mean, they've just had him all over the place. And as you mentioned, Dallas Thomas, we had hope for. We gave him the benefit of the doubt for quite a while. And then we realized that giving him the benefit of the doubt, continuing to do so, would probably result in our quarterback getting killed. So we just kind yeah. of pulled the reins at that point and thought, all right, uh, it's sunk cost at this point. It's not going to work. So, yeah, you'd like to see Billy Turner in there, a guy that athletic. And if he could play next to Pouncey like that, that would be fantastic. I still think that they can make that work. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping, you know, for, because I, I'd really, you know, I'd hope that Billy would have been a Bronco, but, you know, I'm very pleased to see that he was on the Dolphins, like I was telling my best friend who's a Vince fan. I'm like, you keep that kid at left guard and let him stay on the side of the line that he's natural at. He has absolute Pro Bowl potential, in my opinion, but they had such a slew of changes on the offensive line. I even saw that they brought back Shelly Smith, and uh, that that's not a good situation for your guys' offensive line if you're bringing back Shelly Smith <laughs> to help out. I mean, he came, you know, the Denver. We had to uh, add Shelly Smith because Pouncey was hurt, and we had Jamil Douglas playing center, our rookie offensive guard. Oh, from ASU, yeah. Um, so Shelly Smith, with the experience at both guard spots and center, plus familiarity with our offensive line coach, was brought back to kind of take, you know, because Pouncey wasn't playing like himself after he he got hurt. Yeah, well, that's understandable. Uh, we got a couple minutes left with Christopher. I don't want to take up too much of his time. Uh, we've got a, a panel of people on here. We've got some calls that we'll eventually take and some Twitter questions. So uh, do you guys, any of you have a question for Christopher before we let him go for the night? Well, uh, the one question that I would have is just give a just give a basic summary. How do you expect Gase to do as a head coach for the Miami Dolphins? Do you see him succeeding, or do you see him being exposed? You know, I think he'll have success. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that you guys will be in the playoffs next year, but this is a guy who has the ability to really get things going on the offensive side of the ball. He's going to be able to let you compete, you know, in that regard. Uh, almost like we've kind of talked ad nauseum over the past 10 minutes. He's got to get that line fixed first and foremost. You have a talented group of receivers, a good tight end, Jordan Cameron. They're going to get the ball moving. They're going to be more efficient. And I think one area that he's going to really improve is your guys' red zone efficiency. Uh, Really help out there. Really get touchdowns instead of field goals, which is going to be great. And I do see success for the Miami Dolphins. Whether that's a Super Bowl, I'm not certain. But this is a team that has the ability, maybe not next year, but certainly in the second year of his regime, to finally unseat the Patriots in the AFC East and hopefully just put them down for good. I am absolutely stoked that you guys hired Adam Gase. I think it's a phenomenal hire. And I do think that you're going to see a lot more success than you've seen in recent memory. And it just seems like the Dolphins are a team that always have a lot of talent, but just kind of wallow in mediocrity in that 8-8 to range or just outside of the playoffs. And I think that Gase, with where he's gone, 
the things that he's been able to learn through so, so many great coaches and the success that he's had under various quarterbacks will bode well for Ryan and the rest of the franchise. And I think that he'll really get a conducive team environment there and he'll waddle out some of the me first players there and he'll put an emphasis on everyone coming together for the common goal. And I think that, you know, in the second year, you guys will be great playoff contenders and have a shot to make some noise, but it'll take some time. Um, It'll take some time, but, you know, I believe that good things will happen with Adam Gase coaching the Miami Dolphins for certain. Well, given Miami Dolphins fans, I mean, given the Dolphins fans' predilection to uh, not being patient, I'm hoping that Gates will actually get two years because at this point it looks, it it feels like that if Dolphins fans will see immediate success, they're going to just run this guy out of town along with anybody else who tries from this point on. But um, you said all that, and now, yes, but it's Dolphins fans, Keith. We we know this already. But I digress. Yeah, well, I guess one of the things, one of the things I didn't even mention is that he helped bring Vance Joseph to your defense. Like Adam was smart to go out and get a guy who's going to exponentially help out your defense. You've got some great players, but you could use some help in well, the secondary. And, well, let me ask you uh, something, man. Well, hang on, just let me ask you something. You said that you were really you you liked Vance Joseph a lot. Okay. Based on what exactly? Because Dolphins fans are screaming and hollering in anger because, oh, look, we got a head coach who's a rookie and a defensive coordinator who's a rookie. We're screwed. So why why should we be encouraged about Vance Joseph? Well, one of the reasons is I think, you know, based off what I had seen uh, with my exposure to the Dolphins this year, I mean, you have Rashad Jones there at a safety spot who is a Pro Bowl player and something to be extraordinarily happy with. You have Brent Grimes there, and he's so-so. He's got a crazy wife, I guess, from the sound of it. But, I mean, he can play great some games. Some games he doesn't really play well. But Vance Joseph is a guy, and I really think that you could use some extraordinarily, you know, help on that back end of the defense. And you're in a prime position this draft to take, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, Hargreaves from uh, Florida, somebody like that. You're going to get a coach you know, and Vance Joseph, who's made the absolute most of his defenses in the secondary when he was in Cincinnati. And that's, a you know, something that you guys need to improve upon. And he's going to fix that back end. You got Ndamukong Sue, and he can light a fire underneath his butt and get him after the quarterback, make it more of an attack-style defense. Uh, Jelani Jenkins is a good player. Is Wake still under contract for next year? Yes. He is, but we don't know if he's sticking around yet, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, from what I've seen him do in Cincinnati in an area of need that you guys have on that defensive side of the ball, I think it's just a really smart hire. And even two years ago, uh, or, you know, the Broncos had tried interviewing Vance Joseph on multiple occasions, and he was highly sought after by multiple teams in the league prior to this year uh, to fill a defensive coordinator, if not a head coaching position. And, you know, a lot of insiders, and you read a lot of things online, saying, you know, Vance Joseph, you know, is a name to look out for. And from the way their secondary had played this year, I think that's going to bode well for you guys. And you're getting a guy on the defensive side of the ball like Gase, who is respected by his players, uh, and, you know, will maximize the potential of everyone on the field. So I think that, you know, that's a fantastic hire. you got two young coaches who might be a little bit wet behind the ears, 
But uh, they're going to get it done. Miami's going to be a formidable team and a team to be respected very soon. One one player I want to ask about real quick, um, the Miami Dolphins last offseason were – like, highly rumored to be bringing this guy in, but uh, he ended up going to Denver instead. Uh, but, um, Evan Mathis, how has he been doing well for you, or is he just, did we luckily miss out on him? Well, he had some struggles earlier on in the year, but, you know, he was a name to be rumored to be going to Denver for a long time, and from what I had heard from various sources is that wasn't necessarily the pay that he was seeking that kind of kept teams at bay, but he had lingering issues with his lower body, in particular his legs and knees. And throughout the course of the season, him and Luis Vasquez have been rotated at guard and spelled by uh, rookie Max Garcia. Um, He hasn't been completely healthy this season, but he's actually improved steadily as the season has went on since he's been, you know, getting pitch playing time by having your rookie um, go in there and take some of the snaps. But it wouldn't have been a huge miss for you guys. It's not like Evan Mathis was going to make or break the efficacy of your guys' offensive line. And literally at most, he's probably got a year left in him. He'll be a free agent again this year. But I'm not necessarily for certain, you know, if you guys were to consider him in free agency coming out this offseason, if he's going to be that long-term solution to a problem that you desperately need to fix. Um, He's been an above-average player, but nothing too great. We've struggled immensely in the run game all year long outside a couple games, and there's been numerous times throughout the year that he's just been absolutely bulldozed and even put flat on his back uh, in pass protection. So, you know, could have done a little bit worse, but I don't think you guys should be kicking yourselves for missing out on him. He's not a guy who's going to have much, you know, longevity left in the NFL or much left in the tank to uh, really make a difference for you guys. Or, you know, like I said, he he wouldn't have been the deal breaker for you guys this offseason. So missing on him wasn't too big of a deal. I know at least one person who will be screaming for Miami to sign him. <laughs> we, know, we know who it is, right, Keith? Oh, I have, I have no idea who you're talking about, so. No, no, and of course you don't. No. Well, I mean, it, it was a, a name. Evan Mathis's name out there was made a, probably, I'll say, more sense when it was thought that this team could compete. But I, I just, I was, I wasn't a fan of bringing, of hiring Joe Philbin. I mean, I, I'm just going to speak frankly here. I thought he was a shill in Green Bay. Uh, he was pretty much Aaron Rodgers' chauffeur. And instead, people are trying to tell, were trying to tell us at the time of that hire that he was a quarterback developer. He was a guru. He he helped develop Aaron Rodgers. And I remember thinking at the time, he's not the one who runs that summer quarterback camp that Green Bay does. That's Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy calls the plays. Mike McCarthy is the one working directly with the quarterbacks, not Joe Philbin. So how in the hell is he finding time to develop Aaron Rodgers when he's not really doing anything hands-on with him? And then right. as things start to unfold, uh, I'm of the mind that Joe Philbin wasn't a quarterback developer, but probably more so a quarterback destroyer. 
And, I mean, that's rough to say, but the environment that Ryan Tannehill had here was never conducive to him playing well. Uh, the he's had, he's had two bum offensive coordinators and Mike Sherman, well, three, really, if you count Zach Taylor, too. But so he had uh, Sherman, Laser, Taylor, really not that impressive when you look at it. Philbin, who's just got the, the mightest touch of poo, really. Uh, it's the fact that he's a, a middle-of-the-pack quarterback at, the, at this point is not really kind of an impressive thing when you look at it. Yeah. I Funny mean, thing I mean, is, is statistics don't even show him as a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. They they comparable to, like, the amount of sacks he's taken, the amount of injuries that he's had. You look at his numbers, and, I mean, he's already, what, second, third in um, production as far as, like, the Dolphins are concerned? Um, yeah. And he throws the ball down for that, too, now that – now that he's more comfortable with his targets, you could you could see this season there was more confidence that he had throwing the ball downfield, getting Devontae Parker, who's who's pretty much uh, just I mean I mean the the catch radius that guy brings to the table is ridiculous. So I mean the Dolphins in that regard were were wise to equip him. I mean, you mentioned Jarvis Landry, who's out probably one of my favorite players on the team, just an outstanding player, and I'll never understand how that guy got out of LSU and managed to fall to the to the bottom of the second round. I'll never get that. But, I mean, there's um, a lot to work with here. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Gase will make the most of it. You guys have a good core young players there on offense. I mean, you wouldn't have hired Gase if you wouldn't have had full confidence in the fact that, hey, I'm going to make this work with Ryan because, let's face it, you can't deal Ryan this year at all. I mean, that wouldn't have never been an option. It would have put you guys in cap purgatory. I mean, and honestly, with the contract that he received, I mean, for what he can become, it's that's going to be pennies on the dollar compared to what quarterbacks in the next year or two are going to be getting in their contracts when the cap goes up and another $20 million. So I think Dolphins fans should be really excited that they have a franchise quarterback in Tannehill who's going to have the opportunity to learn from one of the greatest minds in the NFL, young minds, be, be that as it may. Uh, he's, going to, he's going to become an efficient quarterback. He's going to make quicker decisions with the ball. And Adam Gase is certainly going to help him out with that. And, you know, I think Dolphins fans should really be excited about that, not really be in dismay over the whole situation. I mean, you guys have went through a slew of quarterbacks over the, you know, since Marino hung him up and, you know, if it's not Tannehill, it's it. I mean, it's. I mean, there. There. I mean, there's Matt Schaub in free agency. There's nobody worth going and even pursuing. And the next guy in Denver. <sighs> From what I'm hearing, it depends on the price. Uh, you know, this has got to be Manning's last rodeo. There's no way Denver can afford to, with all their defensive free agents they have, to pay him. Another $20 million. Uh, we saw some great flashes from Buck Brock this year. And he has an absolute cannon for an arm, and he really led us to some come-from-behind victories that were on the big scale. But, you know, will he be willing to accept, you know, a $10 million offer per year for what he was able to show us in a quarter of the games? I really don't know, but I would like to think that Denver would want to keep him around because, like I had said in regard to the Miami situation, 
who out there could Denver get in free agency that could even be remotely better or help, you know, learn the new system that Kubiak has. Uh, Denver's in no position where they'll be picking to get a guy like Carson Wentz, uh, a Goff, or a Lynch. Uh, They'd have to settle for someone like Kevin Hogan or Dak Prescott. And at this point in time, I don't think that, you know, Denver really wants to be drafting a quarterback that high. So I ultimately think that when it comes down to it, they'll probably come up with a two- to three-year deal. kind of nice to hear from someone else who isn't a Dolphins fan, has absolutely no skin in the game when it comes to the Dolphins. It doesn't matter to him whether the Dolphins made a great hire. So it's it's awesome to hear that he believes in Adam Gase, that Adam Gase wasn't just Peyton Manning's Aaron Boy the way Philbin wasn't with Aaron Rodgers. I know it's kind of mean to say, but, I mean, it also proved to be the truth. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left. And I want to go to Twitter. We got some Twitter questions, and I promised that we'd answer them. And then we ended up getting into a lengthy conversation with uh, Chris. So you guys up for fielding a couple of questions off the uh, the old Twitter? Bring it. Sure. All right. Uh, first one comes in. Let me see here. Uh, uh, well, this is the most pressing one, but this is uh, this is this is pretty popular. Uh, what do you think Olivier Vernon is going to command in free agency? What is Lamar Miller going to command? Do you think the Dolphins can re-sign those guys? Either one, both. Do you think they're both gone, both stay? What do you think happens? You want me to go first? Don't, yeah, don't all talk at once. Somebody, please. Yeah, I'm just I, – like, I. We're just trying to make sure we don't like start talking over each other again. Um, uh, personally, I don't I don't see Olivier Vernon coming back. Um, I don't see him as being incredibly special. And the way that some team is going to look at him and they're going to want to they're going to be willing to pay him seven, eight, nine million dollars, and just based off his production and especially his late surge in the season. Not that it really meant anything in the in the long run, but. Some some team is going to give him a ton of money, and I'm not, I don't want the Dolphins to wind up being that team. Of course, there is the possibility of them doing that, especially since uh, there. I don't know if I'm, this is relevant to the topic at hand, so I'm going to go ahead and make this announcement. Uh, Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, um, it, he clarified exactly how the contract worked with Indomitian Sue, and in all honesty. Miami will not only discuss restructuring, they will restructure Indomitian Sue's contract. The way it is worded is that Sue has no choice in the matter. That's the way it was written out. He, he, if they decide to restructure his contract, he has to let them do it. So his, his cap hit will go, will go down from $28 million to $10 million, So that saves up $18 million in cap space for the 2016 offseason. So it's possible they may want to use some of that money to re-sign Vernon. I hope not. I would like for them to move on and see if they can find something else elsewhere, maybe someone better at a cheaper price and just maybe not as long-term. So that way they can kind of start building through the draft a little more. As for Lamar Miller, I would I would think that – I mean, the highest I'd be willing to pay Lamar would be $4 million a year, and even that is pretty expensive nowadays for running backs. I mean, Lamar is good, but he's not Adrian Peterson. He's not Marshawn Lynch, who is actually contemplating retirement right now because he doesn't like talking to the media, I guess. 
and you have these other running backs, you look around the league and they're not making a ton of cash. So at four million, I would like to think Lamar comes back. I'm I'm sure teams are aware of his talent. I'm sure they're aware of how Miami didn't use him properly. I'm hoping that the 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 pull of having Adam Gates in here who knows how to run an offense, who knows how to get the best out of his players, who knows how to use everybody as a weapon equally will allow him to reconsider coming back to Miami. He said he likes Miami, but of course he's going to book at all possibilities, which is what free agency is all about. I'm hoping and right. I think he will come back to Miami at maybe a price at about 3 or 4 million a year. Anyone else? I'm thinking they both come back. Um, One of the things that leaves me hopeful about Vernon, uh, well, first off, the building through the draft kind of does include him considering how he was a Miami player drafted by Miami, played college ball in Miami. So when you're talking about building through the draft, you kind of have to add that in there because, you know, that is basically what we're doing. We're keeping the players that we drafted. You know, I mean, you know, especially with Wade talking about restructuring his contract to stay in Miami, um, I think we find the cap flexibility to sign both on top of whatever else we intend on doing and why create a hole where one isn't when you're talking about drafting a defensive end in the first round to replace a player that's already on the team. I mean, you know, there's still untapped potential there with Vernon. And, yeah, he had the penalties and stuff, but... If you ask me, a lot of teams had a lot of penalties that weren't called, and a lot of his were ticky-tack anyway. So I think we do resign both. I think Tannehill's a big proponent as to why Lamar Miller is going to stay there along with Adam Gaze. I think they both sit down with him and talk about making him a bigger part of the offense. So he may be willing to sign for like 3 or $4 million. And Vernon maybe a one- or two-year deal to kind of, like, prove his value and to kind of, like, erase some of the doubt with those penalties and stuff. I'm going to be honest. I don't see Vernon coming back on a one- to two-year deal. Like I, like I said, I think some team somewhere is going to give him his money. That wouldn't surprise me. I think that if you're looking at those two positions, and if given the really with the with the Adam Gay fire and everything, given the the options, I'd love to bring Lamar back. I love Lamar Miller. If you're if you're investing money in in uh, re-signing one of those, so I don't know. We'll see. Uh, with the the savings in Sue's restructure restructuring of his contract. What position are you most targeting in free agency with that that additional money that you've saved? Go ahead. Interesting that two of you guys said that at the same time. That's funny. Would it would it possibly be someone who plays for the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, I read yeah, that. Kalichi Ostemeli. Yeah, I, I think 
you know, I think they're going to go for some guys, uh, possibly two guards in free agency. I think they're going to add a lot of pieces through free agency, just not kind of what we're used to seeing. Um, I mean, for three years in a row, we got big-name guys. And we have Mike Wallace, and there's Brandon Albert, and there's Ndamukong Sue. Now, I, I understand Ndamukong Sue is kind of a different beast than that because guys like that don't nearly hit free agency. So, But I don't think this year you're going to see a lot of splash in terms of, uh, you know, don't expect Von Miller to come to Miami. That's not happening. Uh, I would be extraordinarily surprised to even see uh, a hint of that. Um, I think what they're going to do is find bargain guys. Um, you're going to get a, a – they're going to go for a, a free agent corner, a guy who can start. He's not going to be, you know, Darrell Revis, but he's going to be a, a guy. And, you know, kind of like uh, – um, who was that guy that started from my – command that couldn't play healthy um, from Cleveland Browns? I can't remember. Anyway, somebody like that. Just a guy, because I think you're going to draft and develop one. Um, you've got some guys like Lippitt and Bobby McCain that you can develop. I think Bryce McCain stays. I don't think he's going to have a big cap yet. So you've got some guys. I think they'll go for some, some uh, linebackers as well. I just don't expect to see any big-name guys at those positions. You're going to see some depth, some guys that, hey, you know, when when a cornerback or linebacker gets hurt, this guy steps in or this guy starts and you have a rookie kind of going behind him and learn kind of positions. If you're looking for where the money's going to go, it has to be the guard position. I mean, you've got Juwan James, you've got Brandon Albert, and you're happy there. And you're not going to address uh, tackle in free agency because you've got Albert on the big contract. So that's kind of a waste. A is a different kind of animal because he can play tackle, but you're going to get him to play left guard. Put your money there. Don't use draft picks on guards necessarily. Uh, you know, build up that defense with the draft. Because corners Linebacker stuff, they're going to be a little more expensive if you try to get the top guy. <clears throat> and so I, I, that's where I, I would spend the money. Get that line built. Uh, of course, you re-sign your own guys, some of your own guys. Um, but you get a guy like a single. You get a healthy Brandon Albert. You've got Pouncey back. Somebody at right guard. You've got Juwan James back. Suddenly, you can run behind this line. You can use play action. Tannehill's got time to throw, and things look better. I mean, that, that's one thing I don't think people understand. Good quarterbacks can uh, – they know how to operate when the pressure comes around the edge. They know how to manipulate the pocket, step up in the pocket. A lot of people want Tannehill to, you know, they say, well, he has bad pocket presence. Well, if you watch what he does, a lot of times when he sacks, he's not – he doesn't have a lane to escape. We saw that in the, in the last game where on third and 13 <coughs> – um, Tannehill steps up. There's a clear lane to run in, and he picks up like 20 yards and gets the first down. Oftentimes, when you get this interior pressure, and there's a lot of people that I read on Twitter, they're all about the interior pressure. When you get this coming up the middle in the quarterback's face, I mean, a guy like Cam Newton or Russell Wilson, who's, who's and even Tannehill to an extent, who's got the athleticism to get out of the edge, that that's one thing. These guys that like Peyton Manning or some of these guys are more pocket passers, when you bring that rush up the middle, they don't have a way to escape that. And you watch you watch some of these quarterbacks, you know, watch a guy like Marino who knows how to manipulate the pocket. It's not about being 
being able to run fast, it's being able to move, take a few steps here and there to evade that edge pressure. When you got the stuff coming in your face, it disrupts quarterbacks. And I think it was a couple of years ago I, I read an article on PFF about, uh, I think it was Tom Brady's, uh, his, his passer rating when uh, facing pressure from the edge was like over 100. When facing pressure from up the middle was like 70. So that's been the problem with Miami is it's not the edge guys. The tackles are doing their jobs. It's those, those interior guys. <clears throat> they can't pass block. When Dallas Thomas gets thrown to the ground like a rag doll, and the guy comes up in Tannehill's face, number one, he's closer to the quarterback, so he gets there quicker. And number two, you don't have that natural pocket to maneuver around, and you don't have an escape lane to, to run around. So it naturally results in sacks. Improve that interior offensive line. I think you're going to see a completely different Tannehill in terms of pocket presence. I'm thinking it's for me. I just want to out one thing before we're, we're done with this show. We've got about two minutes left. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Pro Bowl, obviously. But I find it interesting that uh, Jerry Rice is one of the two drafting teams tonight. And his first pick was Eli Manning. His second pick was Khalil Mack. His third pick was Jarvis Landry. And he took Jarvis Landry over a lot of talented wide receivers. Amari Cooper was was one of those guys. It is a staggering list of guys that... So it just kind of goes to show the respect that uh, Landry uh, gets from people outside of the, the Dolphins and the sports media. He's fantastic. So kind of cool, even though it's the Pro Bowl and the match. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there. <laughs> 